I'm glad that I'm the one who thinks that today. Okay, two people agree with me. All right. For a second, I thought I was just here by myself. Just talking to myself. Amen. Maybe it's all that turkey we're still trying to recover. Amen. First Thessalonians 5.18. Maybe standing up will help. Why don't we stand as we read the word of the Lord today? Amen. We're going to spend a few minutes in the word of the Lord. I'm thankful for God's direction in our church. I'm excited about the next few weeks to see where the Lord leads us. Thankful for the message he's given me today. And I believe it will be a blessing. And he's already gave confirmation about it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. Can you say in everything? It doesn't say for everything. We don't have to be thankful for everything. But in the midst of everything we're going through, we need to give thanks. And if you think that is uh, something that's questionable, the very next phrase tells us, this is the will of God concerning you. Amen. So it's for all of us, myself included today. And then 1 Corinthians 15 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Sin is a powerful thing. Sin will ultimately bring death if not taken care of. The strength of sin is strong, but thanks be to God, the next verse says, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. That's why we don't grow weary in well-doing, because we know it's not in vain that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which how often? Always causes us to triumph in Christ. Isn't that reassuring? Always causes us to triumph. Not when we think we will, not when it seems like we might, but always causes us to triumph in Christ. So all we have to do is make sure we are in Christ. Just like last week we talked about how everyone is the same in Christ. You have to be in Christ to consider yourself part of the body of Christ. In order to always have victory, we have to be in Christ. As long as we are in Christ, He will always cause us to triumph. Every time. Where else are you going to get that kind of guarantee? There's nowhere else in the world that will guarantee you victory every time. But we have that assurance from the God who cannot lie. He will always cause us to triumph. And that's why we give Him thanks in all things. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for Your Word today. 
That your word is greater than our emotions. Your word is greater than our feelings. Your word is greater than our human understanding or logic. Your word is greater than whatever any message of this world would bring through whatever medium or whatever form. Your word is true today. We can stand upon the promises of your word. For they are yea and amen. They are settled forever in heaven. When everything in this world will pass away, your word will endure forever. So therefore, we put our trust and our hope in your word today, God, knowing that you cannot and you will not lie. If we will put our hope and our trust in you, we will never be dismayed and we will never be utterly destroyed. But we will be victorious in you. We give you thanks today who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Amen. One more time before you're seated. If you can just express some gratitude to the Lord. He's worthy today. Amen. He's worthy to be receiving thanksgiving today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. We praise you today, God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We all need to do a better job of giving thanks. No matter what context of our life, most of us... And I dare say all of us could improve in giving thanks. In Luke 17, Jesus had compassion on ten lepers and cleansed them of their disease. He gave them a clean bell of health. He restored them to their families and the ability to participate in society and everyday life. No longer separated from everyone they loved or cared for. He gave them their life back. And yet only one out of ten returned to give thanks. It reminds me that we are all breathing today because He has given us breath. Yet a small percentage of people in our society give Him thanks today. The other nine went about their lives failing to express gratitude, neglecting to offer thanksgiving. 2 Timothy 3 and 1 gives us insight to people in the last days. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and here it comes, unthankful. Unthankful. It's not good to be unthankful. It's listed among these horrible attributes that some will have in the last days. I don't want to be caught up in the spirit of the day and allow myself to be disgruntled all the time and negative all the time and be unthankful for the many blessings we can't even count He has given us. Isn't it ironic we celebrate everything we're thankful for on Thanksgiving and the very next day we run headlong into the stores to buy what we can't do without. We don't even let any time go by. I'm so thankful for all this I have. And the very next moment, we're running out there, running people over to get what we don't have. Is there any irony in that to someone besides me? Black Friday. Sarah Titus's brother observed that the Friday is a Sabbath. He said, is it Black Sabbath? 
Some of you won't get that, but that's okay. Black Friday in 2015 saw 74.2 million people going shopping and spending an average of $300 per person and about 40 to $50 billion overall in one day. 74.2 million people went shopping. And I'm not saying shopping's bad. Trust me. I wouldn't live through the night if I was saying that. My wife would get a hold of me. Shopping is not all bad. But my point is that people literally stampede and fight one another for clearance items. Most often TVs or other electronics. If you don't believe me, YouTube has a lot of videos of it. And I don't have the stomach to watch it because people are literally going crazy. They probably already have four or five TVs at home. And they're punching somebody over the bigger TV. Because we're a consumer society, we're always being told we need the latest and the greatest. We spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars on things that most often are marginally better than the one we already have. Tell me the difference between an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 6. The difference between an iPhone 6 and an iPhone 7. There's not much. But people will stand in line to get the new one rather than being content with the one they have. This is pervasive in our society. And that's why Philippians 4 is so challenging. Paul is not writing from a comfortable plush hotel. He's not writing about being content from palatial settings. He's writing from a prison that is probably far worse than we could even comprehend in its condition. Even if you've spent time in prison today, you cannot relate to Paul's condition. Because prisons then were not like prisons now. And yet Paul remained thankful Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whatever's going on in my life, I have learned to be content. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, because he understood Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, God will provide for me. I know both how to be abased, verse 12 goes on to say. I know how to abound. I know how to be high and I know how to be low. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul's saying, I know what it is to truly be in need. I know what it is to flourish and to excel. But even in my time of need to have contentment. To have peace and gratitude no matter what's going on around me. And the secret is verse 13. He can be content in all things because he understands I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, we often apply that to, I can do all things, like I can do all miracles, I can do all powerful things, I can do all amazing things through Christ. But you know what it's also talking about? I can do all the hard things. 
I can go through all the miserable conditions with Him strengthening me. I can endure the worst things this world has to offer as He strengthens me. Paul gave thanks in all things because he believed that ultimately God was in control. That all things are working together for His good. That God always gives victory to those who are trusting in Him. It's not arbitrary. We don't just get victory by accident. But if we will trust in Him with everything, He will give us victory. Even when it seems like God is absent, even when it seems like evil is winning, God ultimately is in control. God has not relinquished the wheel to someone else. Job said, I look beside me, you're not there. I look in front of me, I look behind me, I don't see you. I don't perceive you, but even if you've forsaken me, even if you slay me, I'm going to trust you. Now we know that Job was not forsaken. We know that God was there, even though he couldn't sense him there. But the point is, Job said, I'll trust you no matter what my emotions say, no matter what my mind says, no matter what my surroundings are, I'm going to trust you. An old song said, if I just hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. Victory, victory shall be mine. Friday on our way to Oregon City to be with my sister-in-law and her husband and the family. We were listening to Focus on the Family, which I would encourage you to do. There are principles that will help your family tremendously. It's free. Radio program and apps alike. We're listening to the story of Thanksgiving. The story was shared by Eric Metaxas, an author who wrote Squanto and the Miracle of Thanksgiving. We know that before the pilgrims fled from England to Holland and then the New World for Religious Freedom, there were other travelers who visited the coast of Nova Scotia, Maine, and Massachusetts. We know that in 1608, an English ship stopped and traded with Patuxent tribe off the coast of what is today Plymouth, Massachusetts. We know there were travelers that were here. And while they were here, some of Captain Hunt's sailors kidnapped several young braves, including 12-year-old Squanto, thrown on a ship and sent off to a strange land. He eventually found himself ashore in Malaga, Spain, where he was sold as a slave. Now, we might stop here in the story and say, how is God in control of Squanto's life? He just got sold as a slave far from home. But God was in control. Squanto was bought by monks who treated him very well. He taught, they taught him language and about their faith. Squanto learned about their faith. And they helped him to England five years later after he arrived. What kind of slave owners help slaves get back home? God's hand was on Squanto's life. In England, Squanto lived in the home of a merchant named John Slaney where he worked in the stables and he learned English. After another long five years, approximately 1619, a merchant ship was located 
And it was going back to the new world, back to where Squanto was from. His time had finally come to return home. Eventually the ship sailed down the main coast and took Squanto to where he grew up, the Patuxet village. And when he stepped into that village for the first time in several years, he found it forsaken. He found it an empty wasteland where most people but one or two had died in his village. Where's God at? Has God forsaken Squanto? He finally returns home and all the people he loved and he grew up with have died. For a time, Squanto lived with the neighboring tribe and he finally went to live in the woods by himself. There was a tribesman there from a neighboring village named Samoset. He came to Squanto in the woods and he told him that there was some white men who had landed with their families. In the last year, about 50% of these pilgrims had died trying to survive sickness, starvation, and all the unknown factors of this new land. And suddenly for these pilgrims who trusted God, there came a man walking out of the woods, an Indian who understood every detail of that land, every way to receive what they need to survive. And not only was he there to help them survive, he spoke perfect English. Governor Bradford compared Squanto to Joseph in the Bible. Joseph had been taken from his home and sold as a slave, which we'll talk about shortly. What man had intended for evil, God intended for good. The provision of Squanto led to the first Thanksgiving in the autumn of 1621, when the pilgrims decided to set aside a time to thank God for His merciful blessings. They invited Squanto and other braves from Samoset's tribe who showed up carrying deer, wild turkeys, hence the turkey, and many vegetables. Truly God had miraculously woven together the wandering lives of a lonely, Patuxet brave, struggling band of English pilgrims in such a way that would bless the world for centuries to come. So I say all that to review these points. If Squanto had not been captured as a slave, he would not have been transported to the monks that would teach him about faith in God. And if he would not have been sold miraculously to these particular men, he would not have had help to go back to England. And if he would have not spent five years in England working with John Slaney, he would not have learned English to communicate effortlessly with the pilgrims. A few years later, Squanto came home to a village decimated by disease. This led him to form a relationship with Samoset, who would just so happen introduce him to the pilgrims. Without that relationship, he may never have been introduced to the pilgrims. He was able to help the pilgrims survive conditions they had no clue how to survive in. Half of them had died in one short year and established this great nation that honors Jesus Christ, sends missionaries all over the world and is the greatest protector of Israel. If Squanto's life had been different, our nation as we know it would be completely different. 
So why do we judge God in the middle of our life? God doesn't know what he's doing. Look where I'm at. What's going on? The comparison was made to Joseph, and rightfully so. The parallels are striking, but one major difference in the beginning, Joseph had a dream. God's going to use me. He's going to use me in such a powerful way that all my brothers are going to bow down before me. All the leaders of the nation of Israel are going to bow before me. You've got to be somebody special for that to happen. But how did that dream begin to unfold? By being sold, just like Squanto, as a slave. But slavery is what catapulted Joseph to Egypt. Jacob wouldn't have let Joseph go to Egypt otherwise. He protected him. He favored him. He wouldn't even hardly let him leave the house to tell his brothers something. He never would have made it to Egypt unless he was sold as a slave. Secondly, Joseph spent time working for a man who would teach him some valuable lessons, just as was taught to Squanto in the house of Potiphar. Joseph learned the inner workings of the Egyptian culture and the political climate he would rule over in a few years. He had to stop in Potiphar's house. He had to be there to see how things worked in Egypt. And next, Joseph had to be wrongfully accused and thrown in jail to come in contact with a baker and a butler to interpret their dreams. Had Joseph not been there... The plan would have been derailed. And after he interpreted their dreams, the butler had to forget about Joseph for a couple years so that he would be easily found when Pharaoh had a dream. The butler recalls this man who can interpret dreams. And, oh yeah, I know right where he is. He is stationary. I just feel stuck right now in my life. Maybe you're stuck on purpose. Maybe you're stuck so God can find you when He needs you. You're stuck so someone else can find you when they need you. Joseph must have been frustrated. I interpret his dream. I tell him one thing to remember. Tell Pharaoh about me. Get me out of here. But he doesn't remember him. Until Pharaoh's dream comes and nobody can interpret it. And then we find that Joseph is ready to step into his destiny. Ready to fulfill the dream that God had given him early in life. And no matter how bad this seemed during his journey, we know that Joseph stayed committed to God. And I'm not saying every day Joseph was perfect. I'm sure he had his bad days. I'm sure he got discouraged. I'm sure he got depressed. I'm sure he got frustrated. I'm sure of it because he's human. But he found a way to return to God. To trust again. To believe that God was in control. And so no matter if he was in Potiphar's house as a slave or he's in jail as a prisoner, he rose to the top because he had an excellent attitude. 
He had an attitude of gratitude. And some of us lose our attitude when the green beans are burnt. Some of us lose our attitude when fill in the blank. I'm not going to meddle too much. I don't want to revolt like it's, I've got, I'm holding the new TV up here. You guys run me over to get it. Bless the Lord at all times. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 34. We're going to read that as we come toward a conclusion today. This challenge of the psalmist. Again, this I'm not saying, I'm not up here talking to you guys, preaching a message that I've arrived. As always, I'm preaching something I'm trying to do. But Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I didn't include the verses, but in James it talks about how the same tongue can't give sweet water and bitter water. You can't give blessings and cursings from the same tongue. Because you know what that does? It divides your tongue. And who else has a divided tongue? The serpent. The devil. And when we allow our mouth to be both blessing and cursing, we are like the devil. Verse 2 says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Amen? If I'm going to boast about anything, if I'm going to brag about anything, it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about the Lord. And the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. The humble, those who are struggling, those who are having a hard time. You know, we're not going to get everybody who's doing great to be excited about serving God. Because they're like, I'm doing great. Why do I need God? But there's enough humble people around us that need to hear about God. There's enough people who are struggling that need to hear a boast about God. Not someone to come up and say, you're right, it's horrible. Yeah, we just, we better build the bunker. We better buy all the green beans we can get. We better buy all the canned food we can get. Because this world's going to hell in a handbasket. And we just need to hold on until Jesus comes. Where do you go to church? I want to join you. you. You have a lot of hope. I want to join you. We don't have room in our bunker. It's too small. We just know it's us four and no more. Because God can't save people today. That's not going to get anybody hope. That's not going to help anybody. But we should be boasting in the Lord. When people are sitting around crying about how bad things are, but God's good. I serve a good God. I serve a God who's in control. I serve a God who is going to give us victory if we'll trust in Him. doesn't matter what happens in the world. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Okay, you can't literally magnify God. You can't make Him bigger, Right? But when you magnify something, you change your perception of it. 
When you look at it through a magnifying glass, the object stays the same, but it looks bigger to you. So when we magnify God, what we're doing is we're putting a magnifying glass on God and He's becoming greater to my eyesight. He can't be any bigger. He can't be any greater. But if I ignore Him and I focus on my problems and I magnify my problems, God gets small. But if I magnify the Lord and I begin to exalt His name together... I sought the Lord and He heard me. And He delivered me from all my fears. Amen. We all deal with fear, don't we? We all deal with that. It's an issue. It's at the heart of depression. It's at the heart of stress. It's at the heart of anxiety. And God will deliver us as we magnify Him. As we exalt Him. Just like the one who returned to give thanks was made whole, there's something that happens when we begin to praise God. We are made whole. We receive peace. We receive joy when we magnify Him. And it may feel like when we first start that it's fake. It may feel like we're just having to force it out. But the more we magnify God, the harder it is to be depressed. The harder it is to be stressed. The harder it is to have anxiety when we're magnifying God. Sounds too easy. Try it. Try it. It works. Have I been duped into not trying it? Have I been duped into forgetting, oh, I need to praise God right now? Yes! But whenever I go back to God, there's a glimmer of hope that begins to be ignited in my soul. And pretty soon it's burning and it's raging. It's overflowing. But I have to make a choice to praise Him. Because only you can choose to praise Him. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, or those that reverence, reverence him and trust him. And he delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay, maybe you're at Thanksgiving and maybe you made something really good and someone at the table wouldn't even taste it. That's frustrating. Just taste it. It's good. Nope, not going to taste it. Come on. Just try God out. Try praising Him. Oh, fear the Lord or trust The Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. If you will trust Him, He will provide. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you how to reverence Him. I will teach you how to trust Him. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days? that he may see good. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. You know, one of the reasons why God gives us another tongue when we receive the Holy Ghost 
Because the tongue is the most unruly member of the entire body. None of us do a good job of always biting our tongue. We all say things we wish we could take back. But keep thy tongue from evil, thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open unto their cry. And again, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. When you cry out to God, He makes you righteous. When you pursue obedience to His Word, He makes us righteous. It doesn't mean we never make a mistake. It means we have obeyed the gospel and had the blood applied to our lives. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of how many of their troubles? He delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near or nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. You see, God doesn't despise brokenness. He embraces brokenness. And He saves such as be of a contrite spirit. All we've got to do is humble ourselves to Him. Admit we need Him. Admit we're powerless without Him. This verse is so encouraging that most people never preach it. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Woo! Many are the afflictions. All right! You don't hear that very often because it's not that exciting. But the exciting part is the next phrase. Even though there are many afflictions we will have in this life, the Lord delivers him out of them all. Think it not strange. Don't think, where did God go? If I was serving him, I'd be blessed and not stressed. If I was serving him, my bank account would have so much money, I'd have to just give some away. Maybe. But that's not a sign that he is with you. If you get blessed in those ways, great. But my point is, there will be afflictions in our lives. Many of them. But the Lord will deliver us out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. The prophecy of the Messiah, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. And in case you don't know this psalm very well, it's not like Psalm 119. Everybody say, thank God. Because that means there's only one more verse. And you'll be able to eat soon. The Lord redeemeth the soul of His servants. And none of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. None of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. And I want to prosper here for sure. But I understand that even if I don't always prosper here, there's coming a day if I will trust in Him and I will hold to His unchanging hand that in heaven every tear will be wiped away. 
In heaven, there will be no more night. In heaven, there will be no more sickness or disease. In heaven, it will be a perfect existence of joy and of peace. If we just keep holding on to Him. If we keep trusting, He is in control. Amen. If you want to stand this afternoon.